Hey, and welcome to an emergency podcast. Uh, I'm excited by this one. We have a very special guest, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but joining me this week is Jim. How are you, mate? In good, this, good. This, on this beautiful sunny day. Been an excellent summer thus far. Boys are back in pre-season, shredding off the Christmas kilos. Absolutely. Have you seen some of the rigs running around? Yeah, absolutely. They are in Brilliant. top shape. Brilliant. Uh, talking, talking about top shape. How are you, Blake? Hey. Good, mate. I'm good. How uh, how nice is this doing this in summer? It's great. I'm it's... warm. Mm. Do you know what? This is also <laughs> exciting because we don't have to talk about the cricket because uh, uh, that's that's finished of how successful uh, Australia were in that. But talking mm. about the rugby boys, this is the reason why we're doing this is quite obvious. Is the uh, the sacking of of Dave Rennie and the employment of uh, of Eddie Jones? First of all, I think you should both say thank you to me because obviously, without obviously England sacking uh, Eddie, this would have never materialised. So if you can start with that, I think it's my favourite take, Pommies. Who in the lead up to it were like, piss Eddie off. He's the worst. These are the worst selections ever. The day we signed him, they're like, I would have never got rid of him. Absolutely. But that's the, that's the line you take always in these scenarios. <laughs> I would have definitely kept him. It's I'm a s- bit, it's a bit Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I'm still waiting for my, uh, thank you. I, I want Lord of the Rings reference. <laughs> Where are we going here, Jim? Well, Eddie's back. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. The King has returned. So it's just a part For the sequel? Yeah, there's no real connection then. Right, I man. <laughs> How do we feel about it? Oh, look, for me, I'm just going to put it out there. I, I said on this, uh, sat in this exact seat a few months ago and said I was would be concerned if England, and I didn't think England should have sacked Teddy Jones just because there was such a short turnaround between now and the World Cup. Um, England obviously had the Six Nations and a couple of friendlies, um, and that's why for continuity I would have kept him. Um, so... Looking forward to the to Australia's point of view, I know he'll get a burst because a new coach normally does. Everyone steps up. Everyone wants to impress. Won't England uh, get the same with Borthwick? Potentially, but I don't think he has the same depth of knowledge, same, you know. Um, Listen to them squirm. <laughs> uh, Pattern of study, you know, all You're those things. You're already preparing there. for the defeat, aren't you? Pretty much. Given you even make it to the round of eight. Um, pretty much, mate. Um, we're... Um, so, so it's the same argument for Australia. Like they will get a push because of Eddie, but my concern is still about continuity. So I'd be interested to know if he actually, and we'd never get to know the answer, whether Eddie hadn't been fired, uh, whether the powers of B would have been happy to go with Rennie still. or whether... I think so. Uh, you feel like this is 2024 bought forward a year early. Mm. There was talk of Rennie going to Japan mm. in 2024. Mm. This was always the plan. Yeah, what happened is the board called an emergency podcast. And they went and had it and decided. That was when One too many Eddie, Jones, Eddie Jones had, you know, officially been sacked. What a brutal term, eh, Rennie? Sacked. Um, and then they had an emergency podcast and decided that they're going to take this action. And here we go. Let's start the combos up. But the combos. I, I feel like you're all dancing around having an opinion on it, though. How do we feel? I'm wor- I, I, I doesn't actually. Is, you know, is it the right decision for Australian rugby? I think it is the right decision. Because I think he came over to Australia and said that the state of rugby is not, not great. And even even if uh, the results don't go Australia's way, it has started a conversation and people are talking about rugby again. And it's whether that's a positive or negative, I think it, whatever you guys think, but I think it is a positive because it brings it back into the media. And rugby needs a... Needs to be talked about. And Eddie will say something salacious, will say something outrageous at some point, which will get rugby, irrespective of whether it's a good thing or not, whatever he says. But Mate, the dude is a magnet for media. Exactly. Whatever he does, he sneezes in kudjids in the front page. So maybe that is, so to answer your question, because I'm not trying to skate around it, yes, I think it is a good thing for Australian rugby. Dude, I, I think why I quite like this hire, 
Higher. Is um what a wanker, eh? Is um <laughs> I think it sends the message to the players and the public that it's not good enough. Everything that we've seen is not good enough and changes will be made and you just might be sacked <laughs> if you don't make these changes. Oh. Um, because I, I think what I'm worried about is you think Checker, he's a man of the people. Rennie, man of the people. Eddie, not a man of the people. Not There's some man. people who have never been in that fold and they're going to walk into this ice cold room and they're going to have no idea how to react. And I think that discomfort, you know, it, it gets results or, short or term. I can say, Stan, you've got two weeks to get a documentary crew, crew in there. Could you imagine that first team meeting? Dude, Netflix. When he starts buying the boys' sausages. Yeah. And it's on like Donkey Kong. Make it into a doco. But I think, yeah, once he's uh, um we got to look back to England, for example. Here's the most recent. We want recency bias. He made the biggest change, and England were the most successful in the and the early stages of his tenure, mm. as with every every uh, team that he's uh, really coached. So you've got to think that's a real positive. You're on a side of a Rugby World Cup draw that basically is England and France, England, sorry, England and Wales in a, in a quarterfinal, either one of those. You know, and then you're in a semi-final, and that's a toss of a coin. Yeah. So it's a, if you're working towards a World Cup, yes, Eddie Jones has said in the past it needs eight years to create a World Cup year, World Cup winning team. But I actually don't think it's because of the side of the draw that you're on. Mm. I think it's a huge opportunity. No, make I it actually about like the draw. That. Make it about our superior players and coach. No, yeah. make it about yeah. the draw. I like that Netflix gets Stan in there. Get it epic. sorted, guys. It needs to be a doctor. Pick get, and drive to survive. In, in fear of being a little <laughs> bit boring, um, I agree with you, boys. So I'm, I'm actually all for it. Um, I just love the drama. I love the theatre. Oh, yeah. I, I love Eddie's preference for rugby league players. Let's fucking get him in. Let's they don't, get they won't in. come, man. Vunavala, bullshit. We'll just watch that. And when they do, years. they don't play. Mate, four years' time when the World Cup is nearly upon us, the one in Albany, Australia, they will be coming for the cash. Mate. There will be leagues left, right, and centre, mate. We'll be yes. dangling Olympics, British Lions, World Cup at yeah. home. Yeah, but you've got to get the glory back into the. The day-to-day. So, no, know? no, give me that. I'm in for that. I'm in for that. I'm in for the drama. I'm in for the press conferences. I'm in to fuck off the guitar and get Eddie Jones in that dressing shed saying six in the world, 50 yellow cards, it's not good enough. Enough of this happy-feely shit. Drop the ball again, you're out. I feel like the boys need a little bit of that. And it was in it when Matt Giddo tweeted that the boys don't know what they're in for. How good. Like, yeah, but the, 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 like it's huge. It's yeah. crazy. I mean, I'm in for the drama. But the other side of that coin for me is Dave Rennie. Mm. you got to feel for the bloke. He has, sure, his win percentage is shite house. We all realise that. But the man, he got thrown in after Checker. Then he had COVID. Then he's had every single injury under the sun. We could all agree at our weakest ever provincial rugby, this man was the coach of the Wallabies, and we did all right. And you feel the feeling, we don't know, we're not in there, we're not singing Kumbaya with the boys, but the feeling is there was a really good culture in that team. And and that was the press coming out, right? And he'd built that and he'd built a squad of 69 eligible Wallabies going into a World Cup year to just have the wool pulled from underneath you. What does that do to team culture? Mate, do you know what? I hear your point, but if you start to win, no one gives a shit at that point. You pick your best. Yeah, he's created a squad. Fantastic. He's built a culture. We, we know that but that's But Eddie's amazing. almost going to be the beneficiary of it. And he's, he's just going to roll be, in. Exactly. The it, foundations have been built Dave by someone Rennie's else. built to the under 20 boys are now 23, 24, 25. Absolutely. Daddy's gonna, home. Daddy's home. Yeah. And he's going to take him. He's going to bring the winning culture into it rather than just 
you know, we're here to, you know, build that cohesiveness. We're here to win. And we sat here in these chairs saying that the Wallabies spring tour, autumn tour, whatever you want to call it, was not very successful because they did not win. And it's now Eddie's job to come in and win. And it's going to be quite plain and simple. How big of a hand do you think he's going to play in the Super Rugby season? Is he going to sit back and just show up on row Z and just watch from a distance? First of all, it's row Z. But uh, no, mate, he'll be down, he'll be down in, a, in row A, mate, telling the players where to play and whatever. He will have, as much as it's not a centralised system, there's definitely going to be much, uh, a greater amount, in my opinion, a greater amount of conversations about where certain mm. players are going to be playing. If I was definitely a coach in an Australian Super Rugby team, I'm getting a text from an unregistered number with <laughs> yeah. just advice. I, I can tell you who's sending the text. But you know what's exciting, though, is also the, the, the growth that's going to come from the women's game as well with his involvement. So... Uh, with him being, I want to know well. more more about that. I'm going to ask that today because it's something you're throwing around in press conferences, and it's it's nice. Hmm. It's a great lip service. But what's the tangible act? And the grassroots and all that shit. Yeah. We've heard it all before, right? Haven't we've, we? We've heard this for 20 years. Hmm. What's that look like? Hmm. What's that look like? Boots on the ground. Um, what do you think this does to selection? Because for me, the the big mystery in Australian rugby is is Tolulato. Surely he brought Dylan Hartley back to England to captain. The Rose. Surely Latu's in its captain. Mate, Tolo's having a few darts outside and then putting on the captain's armband as he runs out, mate. That's no, I reckon it. he's in the contract, man. Latu's in. Yeah, he's in. He's absolutely upset. He's 5.2.1, Latu must captain. Yeah. Um, I want to know what it does to 10 because it was clear it was Quaid or fucking. Was it clear? It was Quaid or no one for Dave Rennie. It was Quaid or stopgap. Let's fill that space. What is Eddie's vision for that? Because with England, I think to his disservice, I think he picks Farrell the last two years. Um, he's still coach of England. They do better. But he picked Marcus Smith with a vision for the way he wanted them to play and the player he wanted Marcus Smith to be and he'll never be there to see if it paid off. Mm. So Borthwick will be. What is his vision for Wallabies number 10? I, I don't think... I'm, I'm fascinated to know. I think he'll follow a, a similar method to what Rennie has because um, the players that you have in midfield, um, the two centres, I don't think... Um, I think that they determine the way that you're going to play. And so, therefore, I think that you will have a, a Quaid or a Foley or a, a Lolasio at 10. And I know the question you're asking is which one of those, but I feel like the Karevi, you know, uh, Paisami, all the others m force him to play that combination and only one, per se, one 10, as opposed to in the England setup, there was two 10s in a bit of comments. Yeah, but that's been Eddie's way. If you look at Giddo, no, I know, Flatley, I, I get that, but who is – I don't think you've got the players to play that now. In even circuit. in South Africa, even in Japan, it was always picked two 10s, 10 but and 12. I don't think you have the players now in 2023 right now in this – how close we are to a World Cup to be able to do that. I think it's too big a change in a short term. I think Eddie's thinking lines to it though with those decisions, isn't he? Mm -hmm. But I think September's so close. Get through September and then make the change potentially. Play the first, the first guillotine's coming in September. It's very apt. Tell you who, in France, tell you who the guillotine's coming for. I know what I'm doing. If <laughs> tell you who it's coming for, Australian rugby. If Eddie doesn't deliver, if we roll in and get pantsed in the rugby championship and get knocked out in the quarterfinal. Where did the fuck do you go now? You've signed him for five years. Oh, there's got to the be savior. a get-out clause. Five years is a long There's time. a get-out clause. And that's why they've thrown all the other extra cherries on top with overseeing grassroots, overseeing the women's program mm. too, which is awesome. Just because he's not the head coach of the Wallabies, there'll be a role there somewhere in the administration building where he's you know mm. still a part of it. Don't think he plays that well with others though. No, of course not. 
I feel like he's either the head coach or not involved at all. This is this has got to be his last shake of the um, last roll of the dice. We'll go with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Because where does he go from here? Well, this is this is is got to be for the big dog. Yeah, five years. He'll be one hundred and ten at the end. And that's why I think the contract was so big because he's like, I'm after this. Yeah, but it's also the reason because it goes to the end of the next World Cup. He can go off into the sun, right off into Mm. the sunset, go and be coach of Ramwick or whatever it is. It is. It's 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 his last hurrah. As you said, it's it's homecoming. So I do feel a lot of pressure on him though. Um, grassroots sentiment is positive. Mm. The the feeling out there is people are excited. I'm sick of it, man. I'll buy it when I see it. You wanna see some performances? You wanna see that tangible outcome. You wanna see money actually used effectively. I wanna see teenagers rocking around in some Waratah outfit looking like they've just come from training. It's actually really exciting. We have a special guest, as mentioned at the beginning. We actually have Hamish McLennan from the ARU uh, joining us today. Hi, guys. Hey, thanks so much for uh, joining us. So we've got Hamish McLennan, um, and we really appreciate you coming, talking to us, grassroots rugby fans. So thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, We've thrown out some questions to Twitter, and, and we've got lots of questions that the punters would love you to answer. But before we get started, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself so everyone listening knows who we're chatting to? Uh, yeah, so look, I've been doing the RA Championship for two and a half years now. So I've mainly been in sort of media marketing and technology all my working life. I'm 56 and I started off in 1985 as the dispatch boy or the mail boy at an advertising agency in uh, in Sydney. So you couldn't have started any lower <laughs> in any corporation. I was the, I was the um, lowest paid person there. Oh, well, the, well, quite the climb. Well, we are three school teachers. Yeah, it sounds like you're perfectly suited to bring the Wallabies back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we're three school teachers who played uh, some pretty handy fourth grade rugby. And by handy, he means terrible <laughs> you, rugby. You terrible. Um, so obviously some massive news over the last 48 hours. I've, I've seen you've been doing a bit of press uh, all around the country. Um, so we've got some questions. We'd love to ask you about it. Yeah. Before you talk about that, what's your history around, around rugby? Like were you, were you an ardent uh, Wallabies fan, you know, growing up? Where did your passion start from rugby really? So I went to a school where you could only play rugby. And so the the teams literally went from sort of the A's to F. the H's. And, yeah, it just every and it was compulsory. And so it was the great leveller within the school. And so, so to this very day when I go to school reunions, everyone still talks about rugby. And rugby was a big part of my family and my household when I grew up and, and same with my wife. They're all sort of rugby nuts on their side. So we've always been passionate about the Wallabies and I just sort of saw what happened, lived away overseas in New York and Hong Kong for many years, sort of could see sort of this decline in terms of the profile of the Wallabies and then I got approached by the headhunters to join the board and then just thought, well, you know, if I don't step in and do something about it, then, you know, I'll have regrets. And my wife also said, stop complaining about it, do something about it. (laughs) I'll tell you what, it's a similar story though of every Australian rugby family, I think, if your family's into it, it's, it's something you do. It's something you talk about. It's something you love. And that's why I think at the core, those Wallaby fans are rusted on tragics. Um, but it's about growing it, isn't it, to, to those other punters? Yeah, and look, we can't, we can't take those fans for granted either. And that was, you know, I sort of felt in many ways too, as a rusted on fan, you know, this is, this is getting ridiculous. The good news is, certainly with Eddie and certainly with what we're doing, I, I really think we can become a global force again. 
and we will. Just from a, um, you probably can slightly tell from my, my English twang. I'm, I'm hoping you don't personally come a world force again. <laughs> I've quite enjoyed the decline a little bit, um, Hamish. But uh, from these two boys sat next to me, then um, they're super excited about the the the, uh, the Eddie uh, appointment. Um, how quick was the turnaround? It seems to have happened very quickly. Was it something that's been in the pipeline for a while? Yeah, was it 2024 brought back a year? Yeah. Yeah, and look what, what changed. We've, we've been in contact with Eddie. I mean, everyone in the world of rugby, certainly at an administration level, if you, if you think of, you know, the top 10 rugby nations, everyone knows each other and, and, and various coaches and CEOs sort of move from country to country. So um, we, we had originally reached out to Eddie purely just to, I'm thinking of other coaches too, um, but, but Eddie was always our number one target just to sort of say, well, look, you've publicly stated that you're going to leave England after the 23 World Cup. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And so good meetings. Um, he was absolutely on to Australian rugby, still showed a real grasp of, you know, the grassroots and club level structure. And Can, can um, I press you on that a little mm-hmm. bit? Yeah. Which is... We've heard that coming out of the press, which is just music to our mm. ears, right? We are we're at the local club, we're school teachers, public school teachers. We went to private schools where rugby was everything. But we've heard that for twenty years, grassroots and women's rugby. What's that look like? What's that look like under Eddie? We know he went to, you know, public school, we know he's a Ramwick boy, but what's that look like under Eddie? Because we've heard it, it's exciting, but I'm gonna be honest with you, I've heard it before. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, look, you know, I think we've so, – so from an RA point of view, uh, we lost $25 million in 2020. Uh, $7 million last year will make a profit this year. So we've been focused on stopping the hemorrhaging and we really nearly, nearly did go bust. We mm. really were at the point where we were going to become an amateur game again, which would have been tragic. Oh so we, we, we stopped the hemorrhaging. Now we're looking at doing a PE deal where we've got better relationships with – our provinces than ever before. We're all absolutely aligned. We've got overseas players who want to come back who are who? coming. <laughs> and then uh, we will, um, you know, it, it is just like another step in that journey where we're just going to get him um, to, you know, look, he's an advocate for the game and he understands how to get the, get those provinces and super clubs working. So, look, you can't change it overnight and we're just, uh, we're just working on, on a longer-term plan, and then we'll have the funding once we do our private equity deal to then pump back into grassroots. So, you know, judge judge me at the end of my tenure, not at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the what's the thing that most excites you though about it? Because you've talked about obviously grassroots, you've talked about an, uh, Eddie being the the number one target that you were What excites you about him? You know, because there's a number of people that talk about him being the best coach in the world, and other people will say that he's quite, uh, you know, combative. But what 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 drew you into him? What was the reason why you wanted to go to go with him? So look, I'll say that um, whatever you talk about in rugby, and that's what's sort of great about the sport is that it's open to conjecture, and and no one agrees. And so people love the, the gossip. But if you look at Eddie's win rate, and you look at his performances within. Uh, you look at what he, you know, he, he's done across multiple World Cups. Um, I think he is the, the world's best coach by far in terms of experience. And I'll, I'll come back to part, parts of your question in, in a minute. But um, he's got, I, I, so I, th- I think guys like Eddie mature and get better over age. 
and over time, I should say. And so he's a different coach to the one he was in 2003, and I think that can only help us. So if you look at where we're at at the moment, I think we've lost touch with grassroots, and that's the administration and the coaches, and Eddie just lives and breathes it. And so he's got the success rate and the intellect to be able to drive the game forward here, but he really understands Shoot Shield, Hospital Cup, uh, the competitive dynamic with AFL and NRL. He's all over the NRL and that sort of player group. And and I think we've just been missing that Australian tough edge. And he's, he's hardcore and I think we need it. And so my my honest view is that I think we've been lacking that for, for a couple of years. Are you ready for his uh, shoot-from-the-hip press conferences that he's notorious for? A little different to what we've uh, been used to? No, I don't, I, don't, I don't worry about that. I think that's good. He talks up the game. He's passionate. And, and I've also said in another press too, I've dealt with some pretty colourful characters in my life. So um, that's absolutely fine. I think that's good for the game. But, but look, at the end of the day, he mm. just he delivers results. Mm. Can, can I, the, uh, you linked in the NRL there, ears pricked up. Um, obviously, you probably won't give us a scoop. You're more than welcome to. Um, <laughs> but you probably won't give us a scoop. I guess I've got two questions. One is, how do we stop hemorrhaging them from 15 to 19 um, going to rugby league and losing all of that talent in Colts and grade rugby? You know, they're yeah. the players that develop not just the superstars. So how does that gap get bridged? And then the yeah. other, the big question is, um, I guess, how do you navigate those? those the, I know there's some Aussie fans that do, don't like us pinching leagues. I'm all for it. Get them in. Yeah. It's exciting. It's bums on seats. Um, I love it, and I love that Eddie's for it as well. Um, so w- what do you see happening in that space? Do you think we will have some more league players come back to Rugby Union um, or come over to Rugby Union? I guess two questions there. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, so I'll start, start with the first one. Um, we haven't done a good enough job of combing uh, the club structure and just offering contracts and making sure that we channel those players into the pathways. So, and actually, quite often, some of those younger players are getting offered two, three, five grand to take an NRL contract, and then we've lost them. So, I don't think uh, the rugby ecosystem at a provincial level and level and an RA level we've been on it enough capturing those players. And at the NRL, even if you look at the private school system, they're sort of starting to penetrate that, and we've got to do a better job of resisting it and offering long-term contracts. Mm. Um, so so that's that, that's sort of critical. Sorry, what was the second question again? Can Which just... league players are we getting? Oh, yeah, league, league players. <laughs> I won't telegraph who we're looking at, but they're actually calling us at the moment. So we've got a few. And, look, you only need two or three who and, – and, and all the good ones have actually been scored in – rugby union and played at some point. So they're not the exclusive domain of rugby league. I mean, that's just, that's a joke and that's not right. And the reason why they want to come back is we have World Cups, we have Lions series, you play internationally, you know. Um, I'm not I'm not knocking it, but, you know, you, you might go to Newcastle or Penrith, you know, for for an away game in, uh, in the league. But in, you know, union, we can send you to Paris or all over the world. You don't have to tell us. Yeah, I know, absolutely. <laughs> um, 
What other also excites me is the fact we've been a huge advocate of, of obviously the women's uh, the women's game, and we've loved the success of the sevens program. Both men and women's this year has been absolutely outstanding. You know, the the brand of rugby they play and the growth that they've shown over the last year has been exponential. Is that a what does that look like in the fifteens? Because what a great product that New Zealand put on, and the the final between England and New Zealand was was one of the best rugby games ever full stop um but the obviously the wallaroos are a little bit off that at the moment um is there any plans to either make them more professional money yeah is is what what's the what's the goal with that because that 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 side of the game excites me yeah yeah same with me so look strategically it's a really important part of how we grow the game so if you have more women playing girls and women then uh you know they'll go on to be mums and you know, wives, and together you'll have more rugby families. So it just, just makes absolute sense. We've got the 2029 Rugby World Cup, so that's a major stake in the ground for us. Awesome. We've massively underinvested in it. And and if you go to club rugby functions with the women, they're what rugby's all about. They play the game because they love it. They're the best advocates. They're sparky. They're great fun. And I've been to some of those fundraisers and frankly felt embarrassed that we haven't put enough money into the game. But, you know, we're trying to save the whole organisation. So so when you talk about the sevens, and this is actually a thing that Rugby Australia has got right, we changed the coaches around. And, and whilst we've always had good, good depth and been a threat, uh, Tim Walsh going back to the women has just delivered you know, gold medals at the Commonwealth Games. They're going to be a real threat to mm. Paris next year. And we got that right. And John Menenti actually going back from the women to the men. Mm. Subtle change, but it came out of a review where we said, actually, we think the casting's better for these guys. So so we've proven that we can do it with the Sevens and the Sydney Sevens is coming up and it's going to be a fantastic event. Um, you know, we're looking at putting real money behind the women and then the women's 15 game. And if you look at the guts and the determination they had at the World Cup in New Zealand, um, I just think from the board down at RA, we can just do better. So, so interestingly, we're talking to Eddie and we felt, wouldn't it be fantastic to get him to oversee the women's program? So you've got the world's best coach and he was all for it, jumped at the opportunity. He'll be involved in making sure that the women have access to the best high-performance systems and resources that the men get, and he's going he's gonna to select the coaches. And he sees that as a part of his legacy to what he does with the women's game. So um, exciting. You know, we're on to it. Speaking of coaches, um, where does this leave the assistant coaches for the Wallabies? Because you, you look at someone like Dan McKellar who obviously – He's put his eggs in that basket. He's, he's jumped ship from the Brummies after having an incredible legacy there to be an assistant coach. We know historically no one really survives being Eddie's assistant for too long when we look at England. <laughs> um, what does this mean for the assistant coaches in the Wallaby setup? No, I, I think they should all be looking at it as, um, a, as a massive opportunity. And so, look, I haven't spoken to the guys since the Eddie news. Um, Eddie's got to be able to create his own team. Eddie also, and this is this is a key reason why I want to get him. You know, when when he leaves rugby for good, he wants a strong Australian coaching legacy, and that's critical for our long term success. So the likes of you know Dan McKellar, he's a young bloke and a bloody good coach. Um, this is a massive opportunity for him to learn. And actually, I know know that Eddie has very high exacting standards and, and has shown through a lot of assistant coaches. 
I, I think for anyone who works with him, there are a lot of people I've spoken to who think he's the best coach by far that they've ever worked with. And so I think for all the guys that are there, big opportunity to learn from the world's best. Mm. Can I ask just about uh, he's very, very successful, 75% win uh, success rate with England at the moment. Again, <laughs> big scoop if you do, but have you set uh, in your own mind an expectation for what you want him to achieve in the short term? Like is there, you don't have to tell us what the goal is, but have you set uh, parameters or boundaries or goals that you would like him to achieve yeah, at certain points? Yeah, because you guys look like geniuses if if he comes in and delivers, which God, we all hope he does. Which he historically has. He's short term, yeah. very successful. Oh, sure. So, look, we've talked about winning Bledisloes and spring tours and World Cups. It's as simple as that for both the men and the women. Nice. And so so that's that's the goal. And nice. so it's pretty straightforward and simple. And so, he, you know, but the great thing is, like, he's not sitting there in awe going, we can't beat, we can't beat the Kiwis. He's going, I know how to beat them. And I think we can win the France World Cup. I really believe that too. And I really believe you can do all those things. And that sounds so, so good to hear. Doesn't it? I'm excited <laughs> just hearing it. Yeah, yeah. How do the players feel? Have we heard from, from the players? Because uh, the feeling from out here is that Dave Rennie had built an incredible team culture. Check it the same. Um, check it the same. And, and certainly Rennie with our, our Pacific Islander community. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but but that's the the word on the street, if you will. How are the players feeling about this? Because I saw, you know, Matt Giddo tweeted, some of them won't know what they're in for once Eddie gets there, um, which I think is a great thing. But but have uh, you spoken to the players? So I haven't personally. And look, I, I know a few of the – I've actually spoken to one who remained nameless who was all for it. Um, but, uh, you know, I think take Eddie out of the equation. You know, in, in life, whether it be corporate or personal, any change people get unsettled. I think it's actually a really good thing. Put, puts everyone on edge a little bit. Um, Eddie is very different. And, look, we're really grateful for what Dave's done. He took a sort of disparate group of guys and sort of pulled them together. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned the Polynesian thing. I mean, at the end of the day, they're all Australians. They all wear wallaby gold. Um, Dave had a good connection with all of them. and He, he did a good, a good job in terms of culture. But at the end of the day, the issue that we were faced with, and, and you know, we backed Dave publicly and gave him every resource that we had, um, and it's and it's tough on him and his family, and no, no one here at RA likes what we just went through um, yesterday. But but at the end of the day, we were still sort of at a 38% win ratio. And so you guys, like me, are all rusted on fans. And then Yeah, but we don't say not... nice things when we're losing on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. So so we're sitting there and then Eddie got cut loose by England. Couldn't believe it. Actually just was starting. So we, we were, as I said up front, only ever thinking of Eddie for the 2024 onwards, hmm. you know, just, just noodling whether uh, he wanted to come home. And I know he had other offers from Japan, other, hmm. other countries. So you've got to make a decision. Do, do we want to keep going with what we've got, knowing that we may not get there? I mean, we've got to win sort of seven seven on the trot in, in France. And we hadn't done that since 2021. Then Eddie comes along, a guy who we respect and like, who really understood our, our player pathways um, and, uh, and and club level. And then you go, I think... I think also just with England, I heard 80% of the players came out in support of Eddie after mm. he got cut. Yeah. 
they so did. I, I, I think it's sort of wrong to suggest that he doesn't have the same sort of cultural sort of uh, values in Dave. I think they might be different. But you can't get teams winning at 73%. And I think when it's all done and dusted, and what this is a very senior player was saying to me yesterday was that, you know, he he wants to finish his career winning letters, lives and World Cups. And I just think for Rugby in Australia, Eddie was the best person to give us a chance to do that. How good. Can I ask you a question, Hamish, or at least throw an idea by you? Did you get Stan on the phone at all and, and pitch the idea to get some cameras behind the scenes on this journey the Wallabies are about to go go on and turn it into a series, a, a drive to survive sort of, you know, tennis has just released one, but that would be absolutely fascinating to watch for no, all we, fans. we like that idea. So we, uh, we, did, we did look at that a couple of years ago. Um, it felt uh, we, we were up for it. Um, certain members of the team didn't really want to do it. They were all new and sort of fresh working together. Um, I can see how it would be a hindrance. But, but the character, Eddie. Just it sells itself, doesn't it? I agree, and so I think it's something I need to talk to him about. So uh, he'll be here in two weeks. But I think, you know, if as we suggest, this is the greatest rugby comeback story ever, then no better way than capture it. To oh, it how good it. hearing that! <laughs> um, speaking of players, how does this change guys like Harry Wilson, who you know, phenomenal stats in Super Rugby, um, you know, didn't appear in Rennie's plans. Um, you know, plenty of other back row choices, but guys like him that, you know, or, or an Isaac Lucas overseas, does this change those contract negotiations? Those players we know that had suspended negotiations, does it change that, a change of international head coach? Look, look, you all know that uh, you can only get 15 guys on the field at any one time. So you're always going to have old young players who feel they're deserving I like Harry a lot. I haven't spoken to Eddie specifically about him. But um, for all those guys, what a great opportunity to sort of re-ingratiate yourself with a new coach and or to ingratiate yourself with a new coach and um, improve your worth. And I think I think Eddie will just look at everything in a completely different way through a different lens. So everything's up for grabs again. Mm. I think what's really uh key at this point as well as not only the ideas that, that Jim's been mentioned, but to get more people wearing the Wallaby shirt and, and to get people more talking about it. So uh, the fact that you've, you've started with that is a great, great starting point. Uh, but what's the next step to try and get it, to try and get people talking about the Wallabies more? Is it, you know, to get, get it's winning. That's the yeah. strategy. You get, you get the Wallabies winning. Everyone talks about it. Yeah. And so even, even if you look at, Last year, I mean, I, I would say we've actually done a lot of a lot of things to sort of get the game going. But even the new broadcast deal, we'll put a Super Rugby game per week on um, on free to air. Um, you know, it, I mean, there was a stat that was given to me. There was something like eighty thousand homes in regional New South Wales and Queensland that were watching Super Rugby again for the first time on free to air in twenty five years. So, you know, if if you see the game, you want to play it, start participating it, then the sponsors come in and every, everything starts to come together. So, so you know, we had the best crowds since 2013 last year. We had, when we had the third test uh, against England, we were the highest rating program in Sydney, including the news. So we beat the news. So there's a real appetite for, for rugby, but we've got to promote it better. And if we get the... Wallabies winning and the Wallaroos winning, everyone will be all over it. But but even if you took it 
talk to news and um, and you know the Sydney Morning Herald and Fairfax, the the articles over the last two days have been off the charts. Mm. I mean, it's it's almost like a limitless sort of appetite to talk and to read about rugby. So get the guys and girls winning, everyone will be right behind the game again. Mm. I had one, and I know you got this yesterday on Two GB, but the 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 complaints I get from from leaguey mates who you know who are part time fans, I go out to a game if it's an occasion, stuff like that. But they're not diehard fans. It's it's the ball in play stuff. It's the yellow cards. It's the red cards. It's twelve beats nine. Doesn't really bother us in this room too much. We're, we're, <laughs> well, well, I'll blow up a better card. Don't worry about that. Um, but in terms of you know penalty goals and blah blah blah. Um, I heard your views yesterday, and, and it's clear that you have a bit of a vision, that, yeah. and it's hard for the Southern Hemisphere to win those conversations. Do you see much shifting and much changing to, to make the game more appealing? Because I think the stat was, you know, ball in play average of 34 minutes a game, yeah. basically less than half of rugby league. Hey, I'll just throw on top. It, it's really tough when, you know, the team, all the effort, the coaches, all the right thing to then have the game taken out of your hands on what is an act that really couldn't be avoided because they're just bracing for contact. I'm talking like headshots or, you know, yeah. inadvertent things that do occur, like all the work just to be taken from your hands. Like it's that stuff when you get your mates over to watch the game with a case of beer and someone yeah. gets red carded three minutes in, it's hard to stomach. So I think... Um, my sense is, I mean, the great irony of Sansa and Southern Hemisphere rugby is that bar our loss to England, uh, New Zealand, Australia and South Africa have won all the World Cups, right? So we've got this great rugby heritage and competitiveness. Um, I would say, and again, it's sort of slightly controversial view, but I think the South has been ineffectual at uh, influencing the North. And look, there's no doubt the weight of numbers, the rugby economies, the people who sort of are influencers within the game have a lot of say. So I think the onus is on the Southern Hemisphere, rugby nations finding a way to connect, influence and change the game. So the, the one major conflict point is around the red card rule and I think that's going to be hard for us at, at a test level be able to change that um, with the North. But I think everything else is up for grabs. And we actually get on really well with the current management. They're good guys. They were all very supportive of the Rugby World Cup coming to Australia in 27 and 29. So I'm very optimistic. And I think what we've started doing is pitching it along is how do we, you know, it's, it's not necessarily, I, I think, we sit there talking about the AFL and the NRL and state of origin, as great a contest as that is. Um, that just falls on deaf ears in the north. They absolutely don't care. Uh, they don't understand it and, you know, nor should they really. So it's an anomaly out here in Australia. What we're going to do, be doing better is articulating our vision for the game. And in terms of speeding the game up and having ball in play time, they're, they're very open to all the things that we're suggesting. So I'm actually very optimistic leading into our World Cup that we'll get some major improvements. Not sure we'll win the red card rule um, war, but we'll see. It's exciting. It's, and it's nice knowing those conversations are happening. Mm. Sometimes it's us, feels like we're screaming into microphones, 
into yeah. a core a choir that agrees with this. Um, I've just got one <laughs> more question for you from me. What's this do to the Giddo clause? We know Dave Rennie was was pro bringing players in, and we know was it Dan Herbert was working on the deal and blah 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 blah. Where are we at with it now under Eddie? So, so we obviously increased it from two to three. Look, we, we've sort of made commitments to New Zealand. I mean, just sort of like verbal commitments through our Super Rugby competition. We want to make that the best provincial rugby competition in the world. And actually, over time, it will end up being that way. So we're been. really ha- ha- happy with the, um, the deal that we've struck there, long-term deal through to 2030. We haven't had the conversation with Eddie yet. It will definitely come up. You know, in the first five minutes of the first formal <laughs> meeting we have with him. Um, but if we bring more players back the way we think we will, then that'll become less of an issue. What, what look, the, the concern we have in the rugby committee, and Dan Herbert and Phil Wall right across this, that the minute you turn into the South African model, their provincial rugby comps just been disbanded yeah, completely. Yeah. It's not what it was with the Curry Cup and so forth. Yeah. So we're, we're just really conscious. We've made some commitments to New Zealand, which we have to honour, but also we just don't want it to be open slather. So you don't want guys saying, I'm going to go and earn $2 million a year and forget our provincial rugby competition and grassroots. So it's a, it's a fine sort of balance. All right. I'm, I'm satisfied with that. Mm. And, and thank you so much for, for, for obviously uh, spending the time or giving up the time to talk to us today because we, as we said, you know, as, as fans, you want to just hear, you know, see what's trying to happen and trying to improve the game and trying to improve the product at the end of the day. Because I think as much as the game, the, the product that is provided will bring the fans back, success will bring the fans back. And I think that's hugely important. So mm. thank you for giving up yeah, your time today. Hamish. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a huge year for rugby. It's mm. going to be a very exciting one. Mm. Um, I, I, I can't wait. I'm just already pumped and it's January. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Look, thank you guys for what you do too. I mean, your your commitment to grassroots, I love I love what you guys are doing. I think it's, it's absolutely fantastic and it's amazing that technology can allow us, you know, everyone's got a voice. Um, so I think it's pretty cool what you're doing and, and happy to talk at any time if you reach out. Appreciate awesome. that. Yeah, Thanks really so much for your time. Harry. Thank you, Harry. It's been amazing. You Have guys. a good afternoon. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks a lot. See you. What so, a load of shit, Nate. No, he was great. <laughs> <laughs> he was great. I, I actually really enjoyed the chat because there was a lot of um, – he answered the questions really well. Obviously, he, you know, he's very um, guarded in some of his responses, as you quite well imagine, but there was a lot of good information that no came out No wonder well. he's got his way to CEO, though. He charmed me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was he charmed. Spat out a few stats, some data, telling us the things we want to hear. Look, it sounds like his vision is very much aligned with – the average rugby fan in Australia, it's just very hard to execute that vision. Yeah. I think what uh, I really like about it is the fact that, again, he may have just charmed me, but he is a rugby man in inverted commas. He Isn't loves he? the game. Isn't he? Um, That's what came across, yeah. Um, and he's not just a, a Joe Bloggs who's been um, put up to the top of the food chain and, and is making decisions based on not a love. So hopefully from, from Australia's point of view and the, and the rugby within the community is only going to go from strength to strength. Yeah, The proof will be in the pudding. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah, his analogy. Good. I love his analogy of when before he took the role, it was like, well, I'm not just going to complain about it. I'm going to get involved and make it mm. better. Where if you look at us, we no, just I'm going to continue to complain about it because <laughs> I'm going to turn the volume up. <laughs> it might bring a guitar. <laughs> and, and the thing is, will be the proof is in the pudding. And he said, though, you know, pretty much verbatim, you know, judge me by the end of my tenure. Well, he's now made a massive call now to bring in Eddie in a short, term, in a short period of time, you know, before a World Cup. 
you know. You'd be hard-pressed finding someone else who probably wouldn't, you mm. know, hitch their wagon to Eddie's steed. Mm. Um, man, that was exciting. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it got it me very pumped informative. For I'm pumped mm. for the season. I'm pumped. What a guy. Good on him. Uh, and it sounded like you could hear with that last question, the Giddo one, that they want the Wallabies to be the product and mm. successful. But that balancing act of not letting Super Rugby go to shit because it's the rusted ons. We love the Super Rugby because mm. I can watch that six, seven games a weekend without having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. But see, I just, you know, when you're a position that we're in, I don't know what equates to success. Like I was almost tempted to bring up how good all the games at Leichhardt were this year or the year just gone. Like I thought that was a really, really good thing. We're not getting many people to our games. So you go to a smaller stadium, it's easy Mm. to build a a vibe and a culture and there were some epic games that went down there. Great time slots like we always talk about. But they have to go to this bigger stadium that's now been opened. I'm excited about the new stadium. Yeah, I am. But they're not going to fill it out, mate. It's going to be Bankwest on a Tuesday. Well, we'll be there, Jim. Yeah. It's <laughs> way easier to get to more park than it is to like out, but I understand the premise you're trying oh, to Oh, mate, you've seen the light rail? Epic. <laughs> um, that was great. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for rugby in mid-January. It would be hard. I'm going to keep going. It would be hard for him um, in that role, like all the things that you do, the moving parts, the charming, the the contracts, the negotiations, but it all comes down to all that work you did, the time you didn't see your kids, didn't weren't at just, home just for five, four goal. months, and they just don't make the kick. Or there's like a red card or in the 70s. Or it's just time-wasting. Time-wasting. All that effort, all those that's meetings. all that matters. <laughs> and it's out of your matters. grasp. And some prick penalises them for time-wasting. <laughs> Brittle. Uh, the prick has a name. His name's Raynor, isn't it? He's a prick, man. I would refuse to use <laughs> yeah. his name. Some northerner. <laughs> Some northerner. <laughs> um, how good? How good. Should we so wrap good. it up there? Shall we? Yeah. Thanks, right. guys. Cheers.